If you have your Bibles, please turn to cha- um, Mark. Mark chapter 11. We'll be in 12 through 19. Uh, before we get into this, I just want to—I want to make—I want to let you all know something that's going on within our church family. I just got a text this morning. Some of you know the deals. They uh, often sit in the back, and their son Josh—he uh, had his fourth um, seizure this morning. And there's a with what he suffers with. There's the repeated seizures is very disconcerting to them. And so he is in the hospital and they're trying to figure out the cause. But um, we just want to take a moment to pray for them. There's also some changes going on in their family and stuff. And just if you've never met Josh, I know you might have heard him back there. Sometimes he'll grunt and and walk around, but he is such a blessing to us. So uh, just bow and we pray for him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, we just lift up the Deal family. God, uh, specifically Josh. Lord, what a joy he is. What a tribute to your love for those who love the best, Lord. I thank you for Josh's smile. I thank you for his family, how they have loved him, and he has loved them back. Lord, we pray for perfect healing for him this morning. Lord, that right now that you would reach into his brain Lord, and, and fix him, Lord, heal him that his seizures would not happen again. Lord, that he would live a long and continued fruitful life. We are, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week uh, we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry, and it sort of changes a narrative where he comes into, he's heading to Jerusalem. There is a season of roughly a week that he's heading towards the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows it's difficult, but he's walking there. And last week that the people took off their garments and they laid them before him when he was on the colt. And they said, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we discussed how those cloaks are a symbol of identity, a symbol of sort of our own value that we say, it is not about me anymore. Lord, it's about you. So it's saying that Jesus is king. So it's a vision reminder that these people took off their identity, let it be trampled under the feet of the donkey, and said, Jesus, you are king. No longer am I king. No longer am I in control. Jesus, you are. So it was a lot about laying down identity. Um, The narrative starts in Bethany that we're getting ready to read, and I want you to just get a little familiar with Bethany. So we're going to watch a short video. About a mile and a half from Jerusalem, on the southeastern side of the Mount of Olives, sits the ancient location of the village of Bethany. A 2,000-year-old dwelling place and tomb are located here, that since the early 300s were identified as the home of Jesus' friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Bethany was the place in which Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. From which he was called forth exists today, and one can descend into its cave and view the place where the dead came back to life. 
Bethany is also the location where Jesus, who was in the home of Simon the leper, was approached by a woman named Mary. She anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and wept before him, drying his feet with her hair. Bethany is also the place from which Jesus departed to enter Jerusalem. This act is known as his triumphal entry and is commemorated with the church tradition of Palm Sunday. Short days later, Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of mankind. It was also near Bethany that Jesus would ascend into heaven after his resurrection. Today, Bethany is a part of the Arab city, El Itzaria, but its roots heavily touched the life of Jesus. One of his greatest miracles happened here. And even though the resurrection of Lazarus shows Jesus' godly nature, the same miracle also shows the beautiful humanity of Jesus. The shortest verse in the Bible happens in Bethany. Jesus wept. So Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it starts out and it says, On the following day when they came from Bethany, so they sort of hung out there, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. So I want to show you what a fig tree looks like. In, in, leaf, uh, in full leaf, a fig tree is uh, a big source of food in the area. Uh, some of you, it's not fig newtons. Uh, it is a, a fig tree, and they, they would not pull fig newtons from it, but it was in full leaf. And people, scholars, you'll see here in a minute, it talks about that the Jesus went to the tree, and he was looking for food, and it was out of season. But what is meant by that is that even at this part of the season in the springtime, there was a little piece of fruit beginning to form that they would find nourishing growing. And then I believe we have one more slide. Fig looks like. Um, that's sort of what figs look like when they're growing. And then I believe we have one more slide. Um, and we don't. Okay. Um, but that's what the figs will look like. And he went to pick it. So you see in 14, and he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard it so if you just look on the outside and just say take this little piece of the narrative jesus goes up to a fig tree that is not producing fruit in a season when it doesn't produce fruit it has not grown and ripened yet and he curses it and you'll find out later i believe next week that it dies if you just look at that you go what is up with jesus that is pretty cruel. It's not supposed to produce fruit. It didn't produce fruit. And then he cursed it and died. It's the only miracle which you will see that causes death. I mean, Jesus pronounced death on the tree. This is what's called a Markin sandwich. Uh, and it's not to be confused with Fig Newtons. Um, a Markin sandwich. So Mark starts off with this story about the fig tree. And then later in this text, we're going to see he goes to the temple and then he sums it all together. So this story has importance because it is referring to the temple. 
that he's getting ready to go to and cleanse. So Jesus goes to a temple that looks flowery, looks like it should be, be producing fruit, and it doesn't. So in verse 15 we read, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. Now remember, get your head and heart around the fact that Jesus wasn't specifically going to Jerusalem. He was specifically going to the temple. The temple was this symbolic Old Testament viewpoint of something that was going to happen to come. It is uh, Jesus being shown in the Old Testament where there is going to be this access to the Holy of Holies, that there is going to be something happening that's more so. And so he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So there's a picture up here or a diagram and uh, it's a little hard to see from here, but the main, a holy of holies is sort of that golden part. And to the right, and the, where the three is, you probably can't see, right outside the golden door is where the priest sort of hung out. And then outside of there is the court of women. So then if you broaden it out to the walls, this is the court of the Gentiles. So it was an outside place where a lot of people were, and it became a money-changing place. It became a place where people were making funds with it. They were trying to make money as opposed to serving. So the next thing, I just sort of give you another viewpoint of it. You have the, the temple building, the priest court in pink, the green courts, the court of the women, and then you got the court of the Gentiles. So if you remember, when Jesus died on the cross, when he, when he dies... There is a, in the Holy of Holies, there is a large um, curtain, thank you, uh, large curtain separating the Holy of Holies. The priests would, sat, would sort of cleanse themselves and they would walk in and they would have bells on their feet and a rope around their legs and they would take in a sacrifice. They would go in and if they weren't living right, boom, they're dead. The bells stop ringing, they drag a dead priest out and the next person's up. Sound like fun? Who wants to be a priest now? Right? So, but what happens here when we we're foreshadowing the future, Jesus is going to the temple and he's going to cleanse the temple. Here you're seeing a, a cleansing of people and things, but ultimately he's going to be the cleansing one. He is going to be the one who was sacrificed. He is going to take that curtain and is going to be rent in two from top to bottom, that we will have access to the Father. So he goes by a fig tree, looking for food, doesn't find it, curses it. He then goes to the temple. In Isaiah 56, 6, it says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. So he is going to break all these barriers in the temple where you have four chambers, if you would, four sections. He is going to lay that to be laid to waste, and everyone will have access to God through Christ Jesus foreigners, Gentiles will have access. 
Women will have access. Poor will have access. Everyone will have access to Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. And Isaiah shoots to that. Later on in Isaiah 56, 8, it says, The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. So we see that in the Old Testament, we, we get a picture in looking ahead of where the Israelites in the Old Testament were God's chosen people, but not all of them were saved, if you would. They were God's chosen people. They went and they went to the land that flows with milk and honey. They went and they lived out their lives. They built a temple and they, those who trusted God for in faith were saved. But God says, I will gather others. So in verse 16, back to Mark, it says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So I guess the best way I could, scouts or Girl Scouts or anything, could describe it is if uh, not to bash Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or anything. It's just like if we just started out front just selling cookies, you know, and then brought stuff in here and began to sell, you know, all these different items. And it's just like it became about raising money as, and more about than it is to praise God. We sang this morning, it's our breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to, your, to you holy. We sing that because we are not hopefully distracted by things in our life that we've laid down before the feet of Jesus and made him king, that we come undistracted and we worship. There's nothing hindering us from access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that should be our source of joy, our source of worship, our source of hope, our source of hope in parenting. When you got little kids everywhere, it sounds novel till you're in the middle of it. Amen, folks? I do remember, you know... (laughs) It, I mean, it's, it's all novel until they're, they're there and you don't get sleep. But he is our source of hope in that. He's our source and hope when we're not surrendered in our marriages. He's our source of hope when we're not surrendered in our parenting. He's our source of hope when we fail to put Jesus first and make him preeminent. Jesus first doesn't even say it best. It makes him on a scale. In, uh, I think it's Colossians, says that in all things he may have preeminence. Not number one, number two, he's everything. And everything else falls in after him. So Jesus walks into the temple that was supposed to be a place of worship, and it became something else, and he was angry. And he began to tear things down And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was done with the money change. And in verse 17, he was teaching them and saying to them, Is is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, important point, for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Your house should be, this house should be a house of prayer for everyone, for all nations, for all people, for all people groups, 
for anyone who wants to call on the name of the Lord. There is no one who should be outcast. I would say in this church, there should be nobody that we turn our head away from, that we say you can't come in, we can't check their resident status, we can't check where their mom and dad are from, we can't check exactly what we believe. All who wish to enter and worship God are welcome here. And it's quiet in the church. All nations should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus is tearing things up here. Knocks a fig tree out, knocks the tables out, and it's like, man, Jesus is on a roll. Look at Jeremiah 7, verse 11. Remember, this is Old Testament. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So in the Old Testament, Jesus is referencing what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. The prophets saw it happen as the temple came out. And frankly, it's something that can happen here. This can become a place that's not about worship, that's not about serving the Lord, that's not about doing, and it can become distracted and the, the candle can be taken out. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. So the, Jesus speaks the truth. He calls out a spade a spade. The Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests, describes all that they wanted to destroy him. It wasn't talking about they wanted to get him out of a, the place. They wanted to kill him. And if you've been with us following through, there's been other times when Jesus was threatened, when they wanted to take him, but it wasn't his time yet. So he was in the temple. In Mark 14, we're going to look ahead a little bit. Verse 58 says, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. So Jesus was going to see that this temple was, it was going to be destroyed, and it was burned down. Jerusalem was burned down, the temple destroyed, and Jesus said the temple, the true temple, would be rebuilt, not of human hands, but things that were not made with hands. So I have a short quote up here. The fig tree thus symbolizes the temple as the means of approach to God. The temple is fundamentally from the roots replaced by Jesus as the center of Israel. So no longer is the temple the center of Israel, but Jesus became the center. This is what we mean by Christocentric, gospel-centered. We as a church should be Jesus-centered. The sanctuary is beautiful, and I love it, but this is not the end-all. 
This is a place we gather and worship together. This is a place where we come to be encouraged and strengthened together, where we pray for each other, I hope, and that we, we learn from one another. This is a place for that. But ultimately, we need to be about Jesus. So the primary head knowledge of all this is that the fig tree was a symbol of a good-looking tree that was flourishing on the outside, but on the inside, it was dead, up underneath its leaves. Does that make sense to you? That on the outside, the temple was something that on the outside was flourishing. Lots of people, lots of people, lots of things going on, lots of priests, lots of sacrifice. They said 200-some thousand uh, lambs a year were sacrificed in this temple. I, can't, I just can't imagine the numbers. Imagine, looks like it's going good, right? But underneath of it, it was dead. And just like Jesus foretold the death of the fig tree, he was foretelling the death of the temple. So that is what the story is. Now, I want to give a, I want to be clear when I depart from this, I want to make this applicable to us. So that was what the scripture, I believe, is saying. Now I want to add, I don't want to add to scripture, but I want to add it to make it more uh, to our context. What does your tree look like? What if Jesus were to come up to you and you are a fig tree, what would he find underneath the leaves? What would he see if he peered into your heart? Would he find fruit there? Would he find that it's barren? Would he find that on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're dead and not producing fruit? We talk about this often here. It's not about being here. It's about producing fruit. It is by your fruit that you will know that you are a child of God. Not by how you look, not by how you portray yourself, but to producing a fruit that is only done through the Holy Spirit. Not self-created fruit, not fruit you pick up, fruit of good works. You say, oh, this looks good, and you staple it to your tree and say, I hope Jesus comes today because that fruit's dying on the vine. No, it's we stay, and it's producing fruit that comes that I am the vine, and he is, or excuse me, he is the vine, and I am, we are the branches. So if we're connected to Jesus, if we're connected to the temple, we will produce fruit. If you're not connected to the temple, maybe you're a Christian, you're not connected to Jesus, maybe your fruit really stinks. Maybe it's got worms all in it. Maybe your whole life is full of misery, and you're complaining all the time, and you're angry all the time, and you're frustrated about it all the time, and you're self-loathing. It's like, oh, it's bad. If you know Jesus and your fruit is not producing good fruit, it's probably because that you are not connected to the vine in the way that you should be. That you're going to the temple to sacrifice. You come on Sunday morning and you, you know, maybe pay your tithe, maybe you don't. Maybe you come and you perfunctory take the communion and you go and you live the rest of your six days and maybe six and a half days given over to yourself and is no more about Jesus, no more about sacrifice. And he looks up under the tree and goes, it's empty. Jesus came in to abolish that 
way of living. It's not meant to be a discouragement for you. It's meant to be an encouragement as to how you are connected to Jesus Christ this morning. What does he see under the tree? What If you were a mechanic, there's a few in this room, I know, what do you see? The car might look good on the outside, but you pull the hood up and there's no oil in it. It's been run for 100 miles. It's dead, right? Same thing. What does your tree look like? The second question would be, are you a healthy part of the temple of God collectively? Now, I am so thankful for this church. I am so thankful that I see people that are actively doing things, like even Leanne Sharon, she loves your kids. Those of you who have kids in kids' ministry, they love your kids. They pour out to them. They sacrifice. They do lesson planning. They come in and they prepare. They walk through the rain to be with each other. And that's a part of a healthy church when people are doing that. Yeah, I mean, you look at Acts, the church began to be known as they, when they assembled together, they would break bread, they would fellowship with one another, they would pray with one another. Their life was intricately bound by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by a building, but by relationship. Jesus abolished the building to make and create relationship that we can have with one another. So it goes this way. With us before the Lord, the curtain was rent, and it goes this way as we love our enemies, as we love our friends, as we do unto others as they, we would have them to do unto us. That's how we live out the gospel. So whether we're a fig tree of an individual or a collection of the church under the banner of Jesus Christ, we are doing these things not in our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, totally given in to our inadequacies and believing through faith that he can do it. This morning, if you're trying to do this alone, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you are worn out or you're approaching being worn out. We don't want you to stay there. So we're going to have communion, and it's a time for us to break bread, if you would, communion bread, symbol, symbolism of the body of Jesus, to drink juice, symbolism of his shed blood, to remember what he did and also to ask him for strength for the journey. Would you please stand if you're able? Please pray with me. Lord God, as we come to the table, Lord, this table is open to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. This morning, if you don't know who Jesus is, we want to invite you to come and pray with one of us. Just ask him, even right at your seat, say, Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to. Jesus, my fig tree is barren. I thought attending church did it, but it doesn't work. It's just barren. It's dry. I want to be connected to the vine. Pray in faith. Pray that Jesus will save and he will create in you a new heart and give you peace. Lord, we love you, and we praise you this morning as we come. In Jesus' name, amen.